Right, here we go again then. The bottom line with me, Ian Irving. And me, Danny Higginbotham. Thank you for all the feedback from last week. It's really important that you help shape the conversation. And we're looking forward to getting going on this second one. Absolutely. And on the episode this week, we'll talk a little bit about an up and down week for Manchester United, to say the least. We'll focus on Stoke against Everton in the Premier League this weekend, which will lead us on to the battle to avoid relegation as well. Danny's been there, done that and got the T-shirt. He's been on both sides of that, staying up, going down. He'll be answering your questions on the dreaded drop and also revealing the secrets to staying up, including team spirit, bin loads of beer and a formation of ducks. So, Danny, one place to start then. We previewed Manchester United against Liverpool last week, but a severe match has taken over everything, hasn't it? It has. It felt like a defining moment if Manchester United had got through. I think everyone was looking at a fantastic season, the progression and what have you, but it's been looked at very differently now. Um, It was a lacklustre performance, especially after Liverpool have fought Sevilla, did a fantastic job. They sat back, counter-attacked. I was very surprised that Juan Mata didn't start and they just didn't get going. Manchester United, I think Ben Yedda, I think it was a perfect plan for them. You know, keep Manchester United quiet the first 65 minutes, whatever it may be. Bring Ben Yedda on and he made the difference. He was different class when he come on and it's disappointing and everybody expected him to go through against Sevilla, including myself. It's the nature of it as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was the fact of, you know, you look at Old Trafford over the years on the Champions League nights, how big the occasion is and what have you. And it was just, you want to see collective as a team. And it looked at times that very good players out there, no doubt about it, exceptional players, but it never really looked like a team performance. And and that's a frustrating thing, I think, definitely from Manchester United's point of view, that they've got a fantastic set of players, but you've got to gel them and bring them all together. Mourinho's comments come into focus as well after the match. He sat in his press conference and said, I sat in this chair twice in the Champions League after knocking out United at home at Old Trafford. In this chair with Porto and Real Madrid, they are out both times. It's not something new for this club. That's worrying. Because I think what, what he's very good at doing, uh, Mourinho, is deflecting. You know, deflecting away from his team. Always looking at the opposition or maybe a refereeing incident. Is this or a step like. too far, though? From Manchester United fans, I, I think you've got to be very careful, you know, because you're criticising a club that's steeped in a lot of history. have had some fantastic times over the recent eras. And it's one thing probably to deflect on another football club, but when you're actually deflecting against the history of the football club that you're in charge of, I don't think that was the best way to go about it. It's not going to sit pretty with many supporters. And this had come after a really promising home win as well, a 2-1 victory over Liverpool. Who would have predicted that, eh? Did we predict that? Oh, you yeah, might have, I think, you might I think we might have predicted that. I think Manchester United, they're actually at their best when teams come at them. You know, because then they can play on the counter-attack. Lukaku was exceptional against Liverpool and I thought he was Manchester United's best player against Sevilla as well. And there was space to run in behind. But yesterday there wasn't. I was really surprised that, that Juan Mata didn't start. You know, obviously I've got a little bit of stick on Twitter because it had been put out there that Arsenal are to blame for Sanchez's form at Manchester United. I can't believe you said that then. As if I would say something <laughs> like that. To set the record straight, what I said is that Sanchez has come to Manchester United and if you want to read it, want to watch it, it's, it's all there for everybody to see instead of coming for me. What I said is that Sanchez is still playing like he's at Arsenal when he's in this Manchester United team. Arsenal and Manchester United got two very different identities. And what Sanchez has got to do, he's got to get more embroiled in the way that Manchester United play, the way that Mourinho wants him to be playing. That's all I said. Arsenal, fantastic football team. Manchester United, fantastic football team. But two contrasting styles. And Sanchez hasn't got that United style in his stride yet, I don't think. And that's one of his biggest problems. They'll need to move on quickly as well. They've got Brighton in the FA Cup quarter-final at Old Trafford on Saturday night. Is that the biggest game of the season now for United? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a huge game. Um, but it's silverware again. You know, if they can go out and get that FA Cup, then it is progression. You know, they're 
obviously in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, they've got more goals and wins than the whole of last season. They're only four points off last season's tally with eight games left. You know, so you've got to look at that. The other top six teams as well, I think, other than United City and Liverpool, all the other top six teams have got less points than last season. So it's progression, but yesterday was a big blow for them. There's no doubt about it. OK, this podcast, not all about Manchester mm. United. We're going to look at one game in particular this week, which is Stoke against Everton in the Premier League this weekend. We have to start with Stoke, Danny. You've obviously got a strong pedigree with the mm. club as well. You've spoken to Paul Lambert recently too to sort of find out what's going on there. What did he have to say? He said that, you know, he was happy with the way it had gone as in terms of performances. Obviously, they need to be scoring more goals. Shakiri is key, no doubt about it. I've seen recent interviews that he's done when he's been at other football clubs, spoken to other players at other football clubs, and he said that he will look at one or two particular players that they know can be match winners. And that's where the man management comes into it, you know, putting them not so much on a pedestal, but making them feel really good about themselves. And He's been know, more than key though, hasn't he? He scored the last three Premier yeah. League goals for Stoke. He's the only Stoke player to score in the last six Premier League matches. That's yeah. big. He's become the main man there now. Is that too reliant on him though? Oh yeah, without doubt, because you're looking at one play and thinking, right, okay, if he doesn't have a good game, you're not going to score a goal. That's the worry for him, there's no doubt about it. But he's taken over from Arnautovic, because Arnautovic was the main man at Stoke for a number of years, and I think Shakiri's taken that in his stride now. And I think he likes the fact that he's the main man, and he's going to need to keep producing towards the end of the season if they're to stay up. But the one thing that Paul Lambert's done, I think he looked at the defensive side of things, because they were conceding far too many goals and... You know, we'll go on to it in a bit, but the simple fact of defences keep you in leagues, I believe. And since he's taken over, I think the seven games that there's only four teams that have conceded less. So he's got that right, but now he's got to get the other side right. They've got to start scoring goals as well. They've got some huge football matches coming up and they need to get the confidence going back within the team. He's gone with a settled back four now. Staffelidis, Martins, Indy, Zuma and Bauer, they've played the last three games and there's a little bit of understanding there. And that's something that... Mark Hughes, unfortunately, didn't have through injuries, through suspensions, and that went against him a little bit because he was always having to shuffle the back four or the back three as it was then. And I think Lambert's come in and said, right, OK, I need a strong backbone and we can work off that, get to know each other's strengths and weaknesses and move on. There's some good examples of that in the league at the moment with teams doing well who are maybe in a similar sort of circumstance to Stoke in terms of the resources they've got available. I think there is. I think one of the teams that are, once again, the surprise package of the season, Burnley. You know, you look at Sean Dice, he thinks defensively first and foremost. You look at their centre-back partnership, you've got Ben Mee and Tarkowski. They've got a great understanding, a great relationship. You know, Keane left. And, you know, Tarkowski's come in and filled the void, no problem. You've got Duncan Duffy at Brighton, another two centre-backs play together in the Championship as well, know each other really well. And Lascelles and Lejeune as well at Newcastle. And it's no surprise that starting to get more clean sheets, picking themselves up, going up the table. Burnley, you know, they're far and away. You know, the reason I mention them in the same breath is a simple fact of it's all about partnerships. Burnley, I think there's only three teams maybe in the league that have actually conceded less than them. But there's only three teams that have scored less than them as well. So it tells you that defensively they are strong. And when you talk about Aguero, when you talk about Harry Kane, when you talk about Lukaku, when you talk about all the top centre forwards, when you talk about Firmino, when you talk about Firmino, you were mentioning Coutinho, you mentioned Salah and you were mentioning Mane. When you talk about Harry Kane, you mentioned Eriksen and you mentioned Dele Alli. When you talk about Man City, you talk about Aguero, you talk about Sterling, Sane, you talk about... Beer all day, Danny. David Silva <laughs> and De Bruyne. When we look at defenders, we look at them as individuals. Why do we do that when they make mistakes? As much as forward is a unit, defensively should be as well. And that's where them three teams have done really well and have picked up the results because of that defensive strong unit. We'll look at Everton's issues in a moment uh, to preview this match. But one really interesting matchup is the two goalkeepers in this yeah. game. You've got Jack Butland in the home goal and then you've got Jordan Pickford in the away goal. 
two of the favourites to be England number one in the summer as well. How do you see the comparison between these two goalkeepers? I think two up-and-coming young goalkeepers. I think Butland's been mentioned for a long time. I think Pickford's obviously been mentioned about a big money move in the summer. Butland's had injuries, which has curtailed him a little bit. Would he be the clear number one now, do you think, if it wasn't for those injuries? Yeah, I think so. I think that, obviously, Joe Hart, you know, for one reason or another, it's not worked out for him over the last season, two seasons. So, Jack Butland, in my opinion, I'm not speaking like from bias, just from how I see it, and I would have Jack Butland as the number one now. I think Joe Hart, if he was playing continuously, consistently, then you'd look at him and think, OK, the experience that he can bring to the World Cup, having played there before, is something that would help with the experience. So, that's the one thing when you look at Butland and you look at Pickford. OK, well, they haven't got experience of them. World Cup games or the Euros and things like that but at certain times you've got to say to a goalkeeper okay well you know it's yours go and take it and grasp it full hands what they can't do is go into a World Cup as they did do I think in 2010 where they had no specific number one and that really affected them if England are going to play the back three or whatever it may be a four they've got to know who the goalkeeper's going to be they've got to get an understanding so it's interesting battle between I think Pickford and Butland I think you can bring Pope into it as well from Burnley yeah it was Pope against Hart last weekend it was Hart's first Premier League start since November mm. a 3-0 home defeat for West Ham but interestingly they're two of just six goalkeepers we've mentioned four of them six English goalkeepers who started in the Premier League last weekend Pope and Pickford are in the top ten but then you've got four of the bottom five teams who've got English goalkeepers in Hart, McCarthy, Butland and Foster. Mm. What does that say about English goalkeeping at the moment? It tells you they're getting plenty of practice. I think that's yeah. one of the things. <laughs> but the, the, the interesting thing for me is, is that when you look at the teams that they're playing for, in particular with Butland and Pickford, at the start of the season, you wouldn't have expected there to be too much troubles in terms of relegation battles. Now, in the summer... Is Butland going to be a wanted man for teams higher up in the Premier League? Without question. Pickford, you could argue yes or low. Is it a club Everton where they'll be wanting to try and get to that next level? So is it a big football club as well? So that's how I look at them two is in terms of if the season was to stop now, would there be teams in the top eight, top nine in the Premier League wanting Butland? Yeah, I'd say there would. So therefore, I don't think it's a massive thing on them for the way the teams perform. You know, if it wasn't for Butland at times, I think Stoke would be... You know, the amount of goals conceded, it would be a lot more than what they have conceded because he's still been exceptional. Let's look at Everton then. When Sam Allardyce was first appointed, they won five of their first six matches. Mm. The one they didn't win was a draw at Anfield and now we're in a situation where Sam Allardyce has lost seven of the last 11 games and won just three of his last 13. What's gone wrong? I think he had the bounce. He had the bounce in the first coming. I think you've got to go back to the summer and look at the players that were brought in. You know, you bring in Sigurdsson, Rooney, Klassen and obviously Snydlin was there as well. There's not much pace in the team there. And the biggest problem for Everton, I thought, earlier on in the season is that you had too many players that wanted to come towards the ball, not many going the other way. One of the best performances I saw from Everton earlier on in the season was Man City away. I think Calvert-Lewin played up front and he gave Manchester City a lot of problems. He drew one all. But then slowly but surely, the pace was going out of the team. And when the pace goes out of the team then it becomes a lot easier to defend against. It means that you can play a high line. So then all of a sudden, the midfield and defence of Everton, you've got two options. You play risky pass into midfield or you just play a ball down the sides, which had nobody in, that had pace to actually get on the end of it. So that was a big problem. Sam Allardyce came in, David Unsworth at first. That's what he tried to do. And give him credit as well, because you know he won his last game and that set the stall up then for Sam Allardyce to come in. He then did exactly that same thing with the pace and what have you. But then slowly but surely, they started to recede a little bit. I think... The return of Balassi in particular, he started the last game, they won the game. Walcott signing, I think having Coleman and Baines back as well. They're huge players for them to get back or to have signed as well because they bring extra pace into the team. So I think that's been Everton's biggest problem this season has been the fact of 
they've been easier to defend against and, and easy to actually dispossess in their own half because Everton haven't been able to go along at times because they haven't had them willing runners that have been playing consistently. I think you'll see a little bit different now with Balassi back in the team as well. Just to round off the chat then, in preview to this match, like we did last week, Danny, yeah. can we have a prediction? Oh, it's a must-win for Stoke. I think it's going to be a very close game. I am actually going to go for a draw in this one. Okay. You know, it's not what Stoke need, but I just think Everton now away from home, starting to get the players that have got pace back into the team. They have got an awful away record, no doubt about it, Everton. I think one of the worst in the league. But I think when you've got Balassi back, you've got Coleman and Baines back, if they're fit and available, then it gives them a little bit of a different proposition. Stoke are going to give everything that they've got. They'll have the fans behind them. But like I say, I just think it's too close to a corner. I think this is going to be a game that I think it's going to end up in a draw. So that's your prediction for this match. We've had a tweet in as well from Devlin in reaction to your prediction for United against Liverpool. Correct, obviously 2-1. And he says, you predicted the score in exactly the way the game would work out on the podcast, Danny. Do you fancy telling us about next week's lottery numbers? I would do, but I want that to myself. I want the full jackpot to myself this weekend, so... No, I can't do that. I can help with the football scores, but not the lottery. As long as you're still here to do the podcast, that's fine. Right, the Premier League weekend then. Lots of games called off because of the FA Cup. Mm. Just four matches in the Premier League on Saturday, but all the bottom three are in action. And it could be a really pivotal match in the relegation battle. You've been in relegation battles and plenty of them, Danny. Yeah. We're getting to the real sort of sticking point now, aren't we? We're getting to the real business end of the season in terms of this battle. Yeah. Every point crucial. We are. Every point is is massive. And as a player, from my experience, they're horrendous to be involved in. They're awful because you're always looking over your shoulder. You're always worrying. You get in at times and you've just had that big battle with a team that, that's near you in the league. And then you get into the dressing room after the game. First thing you do, turn the TV on in the corner. Have the teams gone on around you? And that really sorts your mood out. Because like, if you've just had a really good win, but you found all the teams around you have won as well, it's a bit deflating. If they've lost, then you feel fantastic. It's great, but they're not great games to play in because as a player, you go into them games and yes, you want to play with freedom, but you can feel the anxiety. You can feel it with the supporters, with everybody, and you're worried about making a mistake. And more often than not, when you do play in them games, they do get decided by a mistake because a player, because he's overthinking too much, trying to make this simple pass, he'll do something out of the ordinary in a negative way and they can end up conceding from it. So it's it's the mindset. Everybody talks about, well, no, we need our flair players to do this and do that. I've said it loads of times before, and I'll say it again. You do not get out of that relegation fight by playing the so-called beautiful game. doesn't work. You've got to scrap. You've got to roll your sleeves up. Everybody's got to be in it together. I've been in dressing rooms before where the going's got tough, and a few players in different dressing rooms have all of a sudden got a bit of a knock. Not okay this weekend. I can't play this weekend. The pressure's off you in the treatment room. It's as simple as that. And it's different people's mentalities. That's when the mentality's got to be so strong. You've got to be, as a collective, you've got to create this siege mentality. You know, it's something that Tony Pulis at Stoke City was absolutely fantastic with. He was brilliant. I think that when you're down at the bottom of the league, you have to look at your home form as well. Home form is key. I think our first season in the Premier League, 35 of our 45 points were at home. And we lost four games at home all season. Our first away win was the 4th of April. We won only two games away from home. But we knew, it's something that I touched on briefly last week, when we were in that tunnel at home, we knew we were going to be a match for anybody. Anybody that came to our place, we knew we felt as though we could give them a game. I remember Sir Alex Ferguson one season, I think they beat us maybe Boxing Day. I think it might have been Tevez scored in the last minute. He said that was the most crucial win of the season because we would run teams really close. Chelsea and Manchester United more often not got the better of us because... They would battle with us, they would scrap with us, they'd win the scrap and their quality would come through. But the home form was so important. And you only have to look at it now, Brighton, they've lost three games at home all season. They've got 25 points 
from their, I think, 48 available at home. This is against teams that were in and around them. Brighton have got themselves out of it. You look at the bottom of the league, West Brom, they got 10 points from a possible 42. Are they down now, West Brom? In their eight points off safety with eight games left, they've only won three matches all season. Yeah, I think so. And the points that I've just given you there is that's not home. That is home and away. But I think for West Brom, yeah, you know, if you if you've only got ten points from a possible forty-two from them teams around you, Stoke second from bottom, seventeen points from a possible forty-five. So it tells you Stoke City have always had a an unbelievable home form, and what Brighton have done, and it's one of the things I've actually mentioned it to Chris Hewitt before. One of the things that you're really surprised with is your home form because I've been to Brighton a few times. It's a beautiful stadium. Mm. It's not daunting. It's not one where the fans are on top of you and it can create that really hostile atmosphere. It's not like the Britannia used to no, be exactly. when you were there. Yeah, so it still he, is to a degree. Yeah. yeah, he proved me completely wrong. So that's full credit to him and his players for being able to do that because I thought it was going to be a place, one of the most up-to-date stadiums in the Premier League. I thought teams would love going there, going and enjoying playing there. The only teams that have gone there and won have been Chelsea, Liverpool and Man City. That's some going. And I think that Chris Hewn has looked and said, right, we've got to make our home ground a real difficult place for teams to come. And that's what they've done. Bournemouth, they've done the same. They always do the same thing. Burnley uh, last year were massive on that as yeah, well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. And look at them now, Burnley. They've now started to win games away. But don't try and run before you can walk. Accept your battles, know your battles. You know, everybody spoke about the negativity surrounding Newcastle when they played Manchester City. I think they got beat at home by them 1-0. Had a ridiculous low amount of possession. At the end of the season it could actually come down to goal difference. Now, if you look at Newcastle, they played Manchester City twice. They've got a minus three goal difference. Stoke City, they've got a minus seven goal difference against Manchester City. It's getting beat 7-2 away from home and then losing 2-0 at home. So all of a sudden, if you get to the end of the season, you go, wow, it come down to that Manchester City game where we didn't shut up shop. We didn't say, right, we'll take our medicine and we'll deal with 2-0, 3-0. It's not going to be attractive, but you know what? We'll go away from here. It's not been a massive blow to our goal difference. And we'll crack on. Know your battles, know the teams that you feel as though you can get something against. And that is more often than not the teams around you because you're in a mini league. And that's what we used to do with Stoke. We used to look at the games. In particular at home, we believed that we could beat anybody. Away from home was a different story. Like I say, the first season we only won two games. But at home, when you're playing the teams around you, we knew that we could outscrap them. We knew that the quality was very similar amongst us. But I always believe a team in the Premier League, if you're on that bottom seven or eight, have something different that no other team's got. At Stoke, we had Rory Delap's long throw. It was probably 70% of our goals in the first season. It was yeah. incredible. Every time we uh, we got a throw in, I'd start thinking walking back to the halfway line because I thought it's going to be a goal. We had our set pieces. We had our it physicality. Reduced goalkeepers to tears as well, didn't it, on one occasion? We, when we played Tottenham, it was Gomez. He'd been hit about three or four times and he ended up in tears. But you couldn't deal with it. Nobody could do it. So many different teams tried to. Manchester United dealt with it really well. Chelsea did to a certain extent. But all the other teams, they tried man marking. They tried creating space for the goalkeeper. Manchester United, before they played against us, I've been told whether it's true or not, that they worked for about three days on dealing with our long throws. So that tells you how much preparation was put into that. So we knew we were in a good place at home. And that's what's important. Whereas you look at the teams that are at the bottom, their home form, that's been the problem for them. And you look at the established teams. So you look at your bottom five teams, probably your West Ham, your Southampton, your Crystal Palace, your Stoke, your West Brom. Going into these last games now, the pressure's on them massively because they've all got to play teams around them. But because they are the team that have been in the Premier League for the longest, all of a sudden the pressure on them, the home fans will get straight on their back and that'll be music to the way teams is. So I think the teams I've just mentioned there, they're probably actually better away from home at the moment. Been a busy week for your former team, Southampton, as well. Mm. Richard Pellegrino sacked on Monday. He'd won one of his last 17 matches 
Mark Hughes, the choice for Southampton. Of course, he was a player there. Lots of Premier League experience, yeah. managed nearly 450 matches in the English top flight. And it's a very different approach because the last four appointments for Southampton had no Premier League experience. So what does that say about this appointment then and the circumstances in which the club see themselves in? I think they've looked at the situation that they're in now. We've got a few weeks until the next Premier League game. So if they bring the manager and can have time with the players and can look and can evaluate what you need from a new manager when they come, you need that shock tactic. That's what Sunderland had. Just a different voice, someone that's going to say, right, we're doing things differently now. Because if you have the same voice and you continue to get the same results, the players can become despondent. It's late to make a change though, isn't it? In your sort of experience of these relegation battles, making a change this late... What does that do? Can it make the difference that they want? Yeah, I think that it can, because obviously they're only a point out of the relegation battle at the moment. But as we've seen this season, the teams down at the bottom, there's been a lot of draws between them. So if Mark Hughes can go in there and maybe get two wins a draw or three wins, you know, you say to Mark Hughes, right, you're coming into the football club, first thing we're looking at, Premier League survival. And then you can rebuild in the summer, you can do what you need to do. Because we've seen a lot of teams have gone out of the Premier League. Bigger clubs than Southampton, not being disrespectful, that are stuck and are lost in the Championship and have been in there for a number of years. And it's a very difficult league to get out of unless you get out in that first year. And a lot of teams have found that out. But it's going to be very, very tight at the bottom of the league. But a manager coming in or even a manager that's been there for a long time, just doing something a little bit different, a little bit of a break from the norm. We went to, we went to Manchester United, we had two games left played Manchester United in Ipswich and we knew that we needed three points from one of them games and we didn't write Manchester United off but we knew it was going to be very tough they just won the league they were on cloud nine the fans it was a celebration for them and we stayed at Mottram Hall for two days before and we'd worked on 3-5-2 which is something that we'd done for numerous months throughout the season and the morning of the game we're all having breakfast and at Mottram Hall these huge windows and Jim Smith, love him dearly, he was brilliant as a manager, fantastic man-manager, the way we'd go about things, he was excellent. He just stood up, had his drink and just stood up and went, that's it, that's it. And like the physios are with and the assistant manager with him, goes, what do you mean? He went, come over here, come over here. And there's these huge windows. So he took the physios with him, took the assistant managers with him. He said, look at all them, look at them geese, there's 10 geese there, ducks, geese, whatever you want to call them. He went, it's a sign. And everyone's like, what do you mean? It's a sign. He said, well... It's a sign. It's a sign from above. It, it means that we've got to play this system. They were walking in a three, a four and a three. So we go to Old Trafford, playing a three-four-three three with King Kladzi and Stefano Aranio, two unbelievable players, but not tacklers, playing as our two central midfielders. And it was incredible, something so simplistic as that. And I never forget Rebo West, he was with us at the time, and he'd been brilliant for us. And I think he might have been suspended for that game, what have you. As I'm walking onto the bus, Jim Smith turns around to me, he goes, um, what are you reading there? I went, oh, I'm just an autobiography, whatever it was. And Taribo was a very religious man, you know, he was, he was a churchgoer and things like that. And he just turned around to me and went, I hope that's Taribo West Bible because you're going to need it today, son. And that's my <laughs> manager. Five minutes before we get on the bus and somehow we went there, we won 1-0. And when you talk about the effect that you can have from other games, so we're walking in at halftime, winning 1-0, Malcolm Christie had scored the goal. We're walking in feeling good about ourselves, feeling positive. We know that Jim's going to settle us down in, at halftime in the dressing room. And we're here on the Tannoy, Coventry City were another team that were in that battle with us. And we had Aston Villa nil, Coventry City two. So all of a sudden we're walking into the dressing rooms, winning one nil, thinking, right, we've got something else to hang on to. Our relegation rival are getting an unexpected result at Aston Villa as well, which is going to take it all the way down to the last game. And we thought, right, we've got to hold on, we've got to win this game. We won the game, got back into the dressing room, we found out that Aston Villa had come back and beat Coventry 3-2. 
But then as we were walking off the pitch, we'd gone over to our fans to celebrate. Obviously, Manchester United, they won the league. We got standing ovation from the United supporters. You knew you were up then at that point. Yeah, we knew we were fine. We knew we were fine. The manager came on, Jim Smith came on, Steve Round came on, the smile on the faces and everything. And and it was apparent we'd stayed up. We'd got the three points and everything had gone our way. So we go back to the dressing room and I'm sat in the dressing room and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and this huge like plastic bin is just pushed into the dressing room. And it's full of beer, just absolutely full of beer. And I thought, that's really nice from that. So I've like taken a beer, sat in a corner, chatting to our lads. And I'm just sat there and I thought to myself, there's a little bit more to it than this. So I sat down and I thought, we've won. United have won the league. We've as good as sent Man City down. So it was like a double celebration. Obviously, Manchester City, you can't compare that to now and where they are. But Mm. it was so bizarre. And we were going to Jersey, I think, the next day, and it was supposed to be like a little bit of a, a little bit of a break, but training to keep everybody together for the Ipswich game. Jim Smith didn't go. And uh, we were told when we got there, do whatever you want for the next four or five days. You've got a testimonial game. Don't get in trouble with the police. Get drunk if you want. Be drunk at the game if you want, but don't do anything stupid. It was brilliant. It was for us to just relax and, and what have you because of the simple fact there'd been so much pressure on them. And I know that there's huge pressure on the top in the league, but down at the bottom, when not your livelihood, but people working behind the scenes, the kit man, the people that clean the stadium, other people, I've been relegated before, and you see these people losing their job through no fault of their own, and they're made redundant. And that is a big responsibility. That's bigger than any pressure at the top of the league. You've actually got people's lives and their livelihood in your hands. So the players really care about that. Are you really thinking about those things as you're trying to stay up? Because a lot of people would criticise Premier League footballers for maybe not caring about yeah. those type of things. 100%. Whatever club I've been at, there's been a solidarity from the players all the way down to the staff, whatever they'd be doing. And, and we is that a key to staying in the league as well, that sort of solidarity? You, you've got, seen the issues at West Ham. And you've it's, got to it's have... totally opposite, isn't it? You've got to have that togetherness. If you do not have it, you are done. And that means like when we were at Stoke, the kit man and, and the kit lady, husband and wife, had been there for 40, 50 years, retired now. We used to come in injured. If you had to come in on a day, if you brought one of your kids here, they'd take them into the laundry room, be doing the drawing and everything. And we knew that their livelihood was at stake. The kit man, lifelong Stoke City fan. It was born and bred. They were all Stoke City fans. They weren't people that had just come from here, there and everywhere. Peter Coates, the owner, one of the best owners and chairman you could ever wish to work for. Stoke City, born and bred. You know, he loved the football club. So yeah, it did. It meant a lot for us. And it was something that we carried with us. And there was nothing worse than being relegated that summer then, then coming back pre-season asking where X, Y, and Z are, they've been made redundant, we've had to make costs. That's your fault. As an individual, you have to Mm. take that responsibility. They didn't lose the games in the matches. They didn't miss the chances. They didn't concede the goals. Yet they're the ones that have suffered and and ended up losing their jobs and been made redundant. So it is, it's tough, it's difficult, and I don't care what anybody says as a player, you feel it. Now, if you're going for the top four, you miss out on the top four, all right, the manager may lose his job, but the people behind the scenes, the kit lady, kit man and what have you, the ones that do such an important job but it's not seen, they don't lose their job. So just to round off the podcast then, the response we've had on Twitter this week has been fantastic. You put a tweet out asking people about questions about beating the drop that they'd wanted to ask Mm. before. So we got a really good reaction to it. So I'm going to run through a few of them here. So we've got Lucy Heinert who says... When you've been in a successful escape, what do you think has been the most important factor in your survival, Danny? Team spirit, togetherness, one and all in, no one blaming anybody else. That's what we had at Stoke City in particular with Tony Pulis. If it was a fantastic player to be signed but would be a problem in the dressing room, he wouldn't sign him. As time got on in the dressing room, he knew that he could bring them characters in them because the dressing room was strong enough. And that's exactly what he did. So togetherness, 100%. Next one, Stephen Howson. A lot of managers seem keen on going with experience to beat relegation, even if those players are responsible for the position that you're in in the first place. Would you rather have an inexperienced talent that could be a game changer or an experienced head to help you get through? 
It's a difficult one because sometimes experienced players like myself, when I was getting a little bit older, if a young player came into the squad, he just revitalised you because he was naive in the nicest possible way, didn't feel any of the pressure. So yeah, it, it can be good, but I think down at the bottom of the league, it can be very, very tough for a young player to come in there because the manager will be looking and think, right, okay, we'll list scar him at such a young age if they do go down. So that's why I think that most managers will tend to go for the experience. Thank you, Danny, for your company I as always. welcome. Thanks everyone for listening as well. Keep those comments coming on Twitter. It's fantastic to hear your feedback on the podcast. And remember as well to comment, rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes as well. Thanks again. We'll speak to you again soon.